Sometimes you have a great idea, and sometimes that idea leads to another great idea. Jason Ballard had a great idea as the founder of Treehouse. He was able to disrupt the home improvement space by making a place for his consumers to one-stop shop. Not only could they make projects happen, but they could do it sustainably. From there, he was inspired to start thinking outside the box about housing and how he could make changes to development literally from the ground up. He has an amazing story and such passion for the environment and for Texas. Let's get right to the conversation now with Jason Ballard. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Masters and Founders, a podcast brought to you by Founding Austin. First things first, we want to thank all of our sponsors, uh, Still Austin Whiskey, Tiny House Coffee, Kind Bar, Waterloo Sparkling Water, and the Russell Collection Fine Art Gallery, which we are so fortunate to host this podcast in. Today, we are talking to Jason Ballard of Treehouse and Icon. Um, I typically like to jump right into everything, so Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and and we'll go from there. Um, Yeah, so I am the co-founder and president of Treehouse, which we call the home upgrade company. It's a home improvement company dedicated to advancing health and sustainability in homes, especially homes that already exist. And just this week here at South by Southwest, we unveiled the second company that I helped co-found, which is called Icon which is a company using robotics, software, and advanced materials to 3D print homes. Um, and it, it's, it's been a great South by Southwest, and I'm, I'm one of those fortunate people that gets to wake up every day and do work uh, that delights and excites me. Um, can I also say I love your tattoo? Thank you. Thank um, you very much. I get that so much. Uh, I'm very, very... Can you show me a story that you got to hear? So yeah, yeah, so if you, you guys can't see tattoos on podcasts unless podcasts have changed a lot since the last time I listened to one. It's a tattoo that says, never give up, and then it has the Pac-Man, the, the Pac-Man, the pellets, and the ghosts. And never give up is one of my like, life mottos uh, that I, I tell myself, I tell my teams all the time. Um, matter of fact, I, there's a video of me somewhere during the middle of the 3D print when it was torrential rain this, when we were printing the house a couple weeks ago here in Austin. And what I said on the video was never, never, never give up. And then Pac-Man, my grandfather uh, passed away two weeks ago and he was an engineer, probably one of the most brilliant engineers and self-taught engineers and architects, never went to college. He's a brilliant man who no one will ever hear of, but he worked on the Astrodome. He worked on the, the, the space program at the Kennedy Space Center. He built some of the largest and most fantastic um, span bridges in the world. He was just a, a, a master without a masterpiece, so to speak, and just a brilliant man. And I think he would be super proud of what we've done with 3D printing, but he used to go to the bowling alley arcade, and he was an old man. And would go up to the Pac-Man machine, and everybody would be like, what is this old man doing? And before everybody knew it, there was like a crowd gathered around him watching him absolutely destroy Pac-Man. And it made crushing these Pac-Man. stories about him crushing Pac-Man made him seem like a mythological character in my life. And so walking in and seeing you with a never give up Pac-Man tattoo, yeah. uh, especially with his recent passing, just seemed really the awesome. Whole, the whole reason why I got it was to uh, vow to myself uh, to never work for anybody again. It's the only tattoo that anybody can see on my body and I never would have done that unless I vowed to myself that I'm never going to work for anybody ever again. And it had to be driven by my entrepreneurial spirit. So that's beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about 3D printing homes. I I saw something maybe two months ago. They were making, 
I want to say it was 400. I don't know where this was. You probably know. They were making 400 square foot homes and they were able to print them in a day. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, so we're not the only organization to work on this for sure. There's a there's an outfit in China called Winsun. There's a Russian company called uh, Apis Core. What our kind of claim to fame is, we are the first company to site print. In other words, we printed it on site. We didn't print it in a warehouse. We didn't print pieces somewhere and then truck them out and put it together. We printed it on site, and we are. It, it will be a permitted building in the city of Austin. So it's the first permitted 3D printed home in America and possibly the world, but we don't, I, I can't quite make sure that's true, but it's quite possibly the world. So it, it is truly the first of its kind. And then the, the, the overwhelming feedback about the house has been, I would happily live in that house, right? Yeah. A lot of the other 3D printed houses that you might see online um, maybe look like Yoda huts or that's something. What this, so, that's what the one I look yeah, like. Yeah, so if you're like a Star Wars fan, that's pretty cool. But yeah. uh, good luck raising a family in there. Yeah, so. sure. I want to uh, touch on what we were just talking about before the podcast started, which mm -hmm. is your background. Uh, yeah. we, we talked about the whole purpose and why Founding Austin and Masters Founding started, which is my background of 18 years in wealth management scene where people are doing, their society is going down this path, lots of pressure on kids, lots of pressure for college, and then 90% of those degrees aren't used, and you just immediately identify with what I just said. That's so right. So let's just start talking That's right. about that. Um, so my background is in biology. It's what I studied at university, mostly because I think life is a miracle and amazing, and I didn't know what else to study because I was the first person from my family to graduate from college. And so um, I studied biology, and, but knew I wanted my life to be about this intersection of ecological flourishing and human flourishing. And I converged on shelter, even though I don't have a background in architecture, engineering. So the first company that I, I helped found was Treehouse, which is a retail home improvement company. Very tenuous connection to biology at best. And then when I realized there were major thing, major problems with conventional building approaches and started looking for an innovative and disruptive way to, to build homes, landed on 3D printing. I didn't have a background in structural engineering or material science, but I ordered every book on 3D printing off of Amazon that I could get my hands on. I went and took a class at Tech Shop, one class, and just started meeting with every brilliant person I could find who had anything to do with concrete, structural engineering. And it, it, it's 2018. I, we, and myself and my founders were able to teach ourselves to 3D print a home. Um, I strongly believe you can teach yourself to do anything. Yes, I bet case. if we locked yeah. the doors to this art gallery right now with the people sitting here, there's an audience here for those of you who don't know, um, <laughs> and somebody gave us an outrageous, like, no one can leave and ever see your families again unless you make a flying car, but we had access to the internet and any materials we need. I bet we could, the people in this room could create a flying car. Yeah, awesome. yeah didn't that happen in Apollo 13? They had to get home, right? That's right. That's that is right. crazy. That's right. That's exactly right. Houston, we have a problem. Exactly. Yeah. So you did, you, you picked up the books and that, but also you said YouTube, YouTube for... Yes, I YouTube. YouTube University. YouTube University, basically, right? I YouTubed every large-scale 3D printing, watched the videos multiple times, took notes, saw what I liked, what I didn't like. I uh, didn't like Yoda Huts, yeah. right? Um, sure. Didn't find it compelling to 3D print parts in a warehouse and just sort of taught ourselves how to do something. Because uh, I'm also listening to an amazing audiobook right now. It's the biography of Leonardo da Vinci. And he was an artist, and he was a scientist, and he drew designs for a helicopter, and he made advances in anatomy. And there wasn't this, he didn't have this idea that my life has to fit into a clean track. Love it. And it just, he, and he kept this curious mind his entire life and was open to the universe and the world around him. Um, and I think one of the more unfortunate things about the modern world is like, 
one of the strangest questions you can ask a person that I think feeds into this, but it doesn't seem strange, is what do you do, what are you going to do? Sort of that line of questioning. Um, because it gives you a sense that you have to have this like really tight, compact answer. Um, I was a biologist who almost became a priest and then founded two companies um, that are also barely related to each other. And so I, I think I wish more people didn't have the sense that my life has to follow a clean track. I love it. it yeah. That's just perfectly what we talked about here. So starting your first company, mm -hmm. let's talk about the good, bad, and the ugly. Let's talk about, you know, problems and challenges. Oh, man. And, and how yeah. You <laughs> so I was so, I still, Treehouse is one of the most important companies that not enough people have heard about in the world. I mean, it is existentially urgent that we find a way to shelter ourselves without ruining the world around us. It just, it's absolutely important, and we are doing amazing work at Treehouse to make that happen. And so when we opened this business, it was like, at the time it was, the joke was, it was like the Whole Foods version of Home Depot. Um, I was, I thought we would have to hire security guards to like keep the people out, right? I mean, it was just, this was so, such a profoundly good idea that had to happen and the world needed to happen that, that people would understand and just show up. And that is not at all what happened. Okay. For the first few years, we were like bleeding cash and had to have like, it was just, it was, it was terrible. <laughs> it was like, uh, so there's it, lots of doubts. Those oh, lots of doubts. And it wasn't working. And why isn't the world supporting this? But you sort of just like never give up yeah. and you just get out of bed and you start innovating and, and you find your way forward. But it was, it was a real goat rodeo there for a while, trying to figure out how to both con tell the world and convince the world how important what we are doing and to put their homes where their mouth is, so to speak. Um, and then also just to, to, to be, it's not enough to do a good thing. You have to do it better than the other people doing what you're doing. And so um, that was Treehouse. And we sort of, one thing after another, we added services. We developed really robust partnerships with people like Google and Nest and Tesla um, and just kept innovating and partnering until all of a sudden we emerged as a company doing something that no one else in the world is doing, which is like a full stack home improvement company. Um, and it, it's beginning to work. We just opened our third location in Plano, Texas. We have another in Dallas, obviously here in Austin. For and the we, audience, can you explain what a full stack home improvement company is? I mean, so typically the, the home, like a yep. No, so the home improvement industry is, I don't know if a five-year-old is like this, but it's super fragmented, right? You've got a designer in one spot, you've got an architect in another spot, you've got a builder, but then he uses subcontractors and they get some of the products at Home Depot, some of them down at the tile showroom, uh, and somebody else is financing the deal. And, and, and the result is it is a miserable industry. It would be like a wedding planner who routinely ruined wedding days. And just like and that, anybody, anybody who's listening who's ever tried to do a major remodel or build a house is, is either laughing or crying at what I'm saying because it's absolutely true. And so what we decided to do is to vertically integrate, not upward toward manufacturing, but downward towards our customer. So we hire interior designers and building performance analysts. And so when you talk to someone at Trios, you're not talking to a high school graduate who's never owned a home. You are talking to a professional. And then we have curated the very best products for you. And then we own it all the way to service delivery. Um, I'm from East Texas, so I have funny sayings. But the result is, and I'm about to say one, so fair warning to a strange thing you're about to hear. The result is if something goes wrong with your project trust, you have one throat to choke, right? I mean, we are going to own your satisfaction from the design, the consultation, product selection. We'll stand behind the products we sell. And then all the way to the end of service delivery. And by the way, you will have a healthier, more sustainable, easier to operate, 
more comfortable home at the end. And you know, I do want to talk about sustainability with what you're doing because it's pretty rare that we see that. How important is sustainability to you and where did that thread come from when you were deciding to build such a business? Because mm -hmm. sustainability isn't always profitable uh -huh. and, and it's super hard to source everything and especially in your world, all the way to design. It's, it's, it's unconventional and that's why Home Depot kills it, yep. right? It's There's a lot of important things in what you just said, so I'll take it from where did I get the inspiration, then I'll go to why sustainability isn't all, always profitable and like why it's so important. So I grew up back to East Texas again, hashtag Texas forever. <laughs> um, the Southeast Texas, most people don't know this, is an area called the Big Thicket. It's where the Piney Woods meet the Gulf Coastal Prairie. And it is the most biodiverse region in all of Texas. And excuse me, it is, I want to re-say that, I want everybody to listen close. It is the most biodiverse region in America. So I grew up around alligator gar, these monster fish that can, you can barely fit inside a boat, flying squirrels, um, four species of carnivorous plants. I mean, just this sort of Edenic wonderland of biodiversity. What is also in Southeast Texas is the largest concentration of petrochemical refineries in America. And so I grew up with this cognitive dissonance of this wonderful planet that we live on and the absolute destruction of that planet, sort of both right in front of me played out in real time. It wasn't sort of a figurative idea of something happening somewhere else. And I was like, I want my life to be about solving these problems. And so if you chase, you're like, what is, what's causing all these problems? The short answer is buildings. It's not, the, it's not the gas, I mean, we, we need to address transportation stuff, but buildings are the largest user of energy by sector. Construction industry is the largest producer of waste. Number two user of water. I could go on. The biggest problem is buildings, which is back to my point. It is existentially urgent that we shelter ourselves without ruining the world. And so enter Treehouse, right? So that's where we get Treehouse. And we thought that this was just so good that people would beat down a path, and they didn't, because you're right, it's... It's not enough just to say I'm sustainable to build a profitable business. One of my favorite role models in this regard is Elon Musk and Tesla. For a long time, the pitch with electric cars were, they kind of look like clown cars, let's be honest. They go 85 miles, they might blow up and kill everyone if you get in a wreck, but hey, save the whales and drive an electric car. And Elon Musk comes along and goes, baloney. If we want electric cars to be normal, they have to be fast and sexy and safe. They have to be great cars. Um, and so we've taken the same approach with regard to housing, which is like to make efficient, sustainable, healthy housing normal, they have to be more comfortable, more safe, more beautiful. Um, and, and very importantly for us, because housing's a basic need, unlike a car, they have to be more affordable. That goes all the way to 3D printing a home, right? I, so, so that had to have stemmed from Treehouse. And somewhere in there, I would think, and this is just me openly thinking, but... Can you, can you recycle materials to build a home? Because my, my dream home is a shipping container. Yep. I want a shipping container home. But with 3D printing, is there a space where they can make a material that you can put into? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand exactly what you're yeah. saying. So uh, for sure, one of the like uh, industrial sort of recycle, sort of post-industrial materials that we are actively looking into using uh, in 3D printing is fly ash. Um, but this is house one in sort of material version one. And as you probably guys have gathered, sustainability is part of my life mission. So you can bet that that will be on the requirements for the kinds of materials we developed. Um, but, but you're right. You, you, you were very intuitive to connect the dots between 
my work at Treehouse and then how that sort of launch padded into Icon 3D, uh, which is we, we just got to build houses better. It's not, it's not going to be enough to build, make houses 5% more efficient we, or 5% more affordable. What will that do? And what about the strength of that house? Is it stronger? It's, it's stronger, right? This is back. It has to be better. Yeah. It has to be like a little bit, but like it has to be absolutely better. It is stronger. You have more design options. The pile of waste left over after we built the house is like a little molehill where we like rinsed out the mixer and printer at the end of the day. So, so this it's could almost be, zero waste. Yeah, this this is the future. Very much so. Is twenty years from now we're going to see this all over the place. That's right, it, and, yeah. it, and it better be. Yeah. Like we, we we can't again. We can't make an incremental. But we need a disruptive improvement in the way that construction happens, both in the developing world and in East Austin and in Los Angeles and in New York and everywhere. And it's it's urgent. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the construction, the process of the three three to build? Because in my mind, I'm sure the audience's mind, you know, we're used to these small three D printers as plastic. Yep, that's right. And I'm like, I don't want a plastic. No, you do not want a plastic house. <laughs> Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're spot on. Um, so it, the principles that govern the large-scale 3D printer are not very different, right? You've got to control a depositor called an extruder, in our case, in three-dimensional space. X-axis, Y-axis, Z-axis, those are sort of the principles of 3D printing. And it doesn't matter how big your printer is, those things remain true. What was different for this is... Yeah, plastic wasn't going to do the trick. And so we had to do some innovative material science. And it's, it's probably one of our least sexy but most important breakthroughs with the printer is the list of requirements is interesting. Right at the top of the list is, like, it can't look like a Yoda hut. Like, it has to be aesthetically pleasing. It has to flow but not like water or you'll have a puddle of concrete. It has to set up quick, but it can't cure quick because those layers need to fuse together to make, back to your question about how strong is it, it has to fuse and make a monolith. Um, it was a real, some real uh, scientific gymnastics to get this concrete right. Um, but I think the universal testimony, I hope you guys maybe will come by or at least check sure. it out online. The universal testimony from when we unveiled it on Monday was, you know, on Twitter and things was, I developing world, like I would live in that house. Uh, and that was the most gratifying thing to me for a number of reasons, both that other people wanted it, but usually people in the developing world get the worst. They're the last people to get advanced technology, the last people to get advanced materials, and, and, and they're often like, they're, you look at it and you're like, I wouldn't live in that. Um, and, and this is, so anyway, there you go. What Just about cost? Gratifying. We printed this house for a hair less than $10,000. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. And how many square feet? 650 total footprint. The enclosed space is about 450. Yeah. Or sneaking up on 400. Um, but that was just the requirements that our client news story gave us. Um, we could just as easily have printed a 2,000 square foot house. When can I uh, invest? To get in line. I mean, so we're sort of <laughs> we're sort of like overwhelmed. Like we sort of like my experience was at Treehouse, where I had to convince the world for seven years that this was an important thing to do, and so I didn't have pattern recognition for the world sort of stomping up and down, saying like, "Yes, this right now," and so I got 1,000 emails last night while I was asleep. And so my head is still spinning a little bit because right. it's Wednesday and we unveiled it Monday. Um, and so <laughs> we're sort of trying to say like, okay, wow, we've got a tiger by the tail here. Um, and a, the proper response would not be like, we'll print one more house. Mm -hmm. and we're we're going to have to figure out a way to, to, to step on it. So stand by. And do, do you have a vision of these? Of course, they get bigger and the designs get more broad. Oh, and, my God. Yeah, I can't Are you going to have wait. 3D printed 3D printer designers, right, is what it's going to end yep. up being. It's going to open up a whole new, a whole You've new. Got, I cannot wait for some talented architects yeah. 
to get their hands on the sort of the parameters of what's possible with mm -hmm. 3D printing. I mean, you could just as easily print a house in the shape of a Fibonacci spiral as you could a square. I mean, it the design, I mean, I'm freaking out, man. Yeah. This is going to be cool. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So I have questions around regulation. Yeah. Because that's obviously a big deal. Mm -hmm. How did you overcome that? So, yeah, we had an interesting moment of this, which is we could print this house on some property near Bastrop and sort of like get out of the city of Austin and make it a little easier on ourselves. And there were moments where we regretted it in the process because we were up against the tight timeline, like to get this done by South by, but we decided to print it in Austin, which as you guys know, has some of the most difficult regulatory, it's one of the most difficult construction regulatory environments around, probably not as bad as San Francisco and New York, but certainly quite rigorous. And the fact that we are getting this house permitted in the city of Austin, that was jumping in the deep end of the pool, but it's such a validation that this technology is ready for prime time and that this is not a Yoda hut in a warehouse somewhere, that this is a gorgeous house in East Austin that we are going to get, you know, certificate of occupancy very soon and it, it, it's, it's there. What does that entail? Does it, the engineers come out, the city come oh out? Oh my gosh, yeah. It was... It sounds like a <laughs> You could say it's a nightmare. It's always good to stay positive about these oh, things and sure. to sort of to view them as a like, if I check off all these good nightmare questions, it will mean that we've passed. Right. Um, but yeah, it was like, what does this mean for foundation? What does this mean for fire, seismic, uh, plumbing, electrical, uh, mold? I mean, so there was just like battery of tests that we had to, to, to get through mm -hmm. um, in order to get a certificate of occupancy in the city of Austin. And we, we have accepted the challenge and we're there. You know, I want to talk efficiency really quick. Yeah. Because I've seen this. Explain how long it takes to print this home. Yep. So this house had a print time. And you know because it like runs on a laptop and it yeah. counts it to the second uh -huh. how long you've been printing. It had a print time of just under 48 hours. But that was running at quarter speed. So if we had to run the printer at full speed, 24 hours, run it at, or that's half speed would have been 24 hours, run it at full speed, we could have done it in 12 hours. You can print a, a 600 square foot home in 12 hours. That, that, is, that is absolutely, uh, one, one would say possible, yeah. and we, we hope to prove that soon. Whew. I want in. I know that yeah. we, yeah, so do I. I, I know like, where, where my checkbook. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what's this thing look like? Is it? Is a printer actually bigger than the house? Yeah, so the printer's like 15 feet tall and 30 feet wide and could easily be sort of made longer, wider, and taller. Um, and then if you just make the track longer, like I said, it, it would have required no additional technical investment to print a 2,000-square-foot house. Um, we just were working with an organization called New Charity that wanted to build houses to a certain spec in El Salvador. Um, and that's the great thing about a 3D printer. It's like you literally upload a digital design file and it prints it. I could print a thousand houses. And this is where there's an advantage over prefab houses. The problem with prefab, there's, prefabs are awesome. One of my favorite prefab companies in the world is based here in Austin called Casita. I don't know if you know yes, those guys. Yes. Love those guys. The, the trick with Casita or any prefab company is to make this, the economics work, you need a million people to want the same house. And houses are so personal that it's, that's, that's the real trick. With 3D printing houses, I could print a thousand houses in a line, and all thousand could be different. You just upload a thousand different digital design files, and they can be as different as people. And um, I think that's an important advantage of the technology. Where do you see the first um, execution? You got the image there. Yep. 
Where do you see the first execution of rolling this out? Is this going to be developing countries? Be yep, so we're, we're running three parallel processes. One is this developing world project that, again, was awesome to be able to start with the most needy people in the world to receive this technology. We have, right now, LOIs to print nine homes in various places in central Texas. And like I said, I got 1,000 emails last night that I've still got to figure out what's what. But there are obviously a lot of other people who want us to do this. So we're going to have to tackle that challenge. And then the third big opportunity uh, is space, actually. So um, I'm getting my master's degree in space resources right now. And uh, NASA recently unveiled a, a 3D printing habitat challenge because we're going to need habitats on planetary bodies. And it's not like we're going to ship lumber and nails to Mars. Like, there needs to be a robot that can make a house that is, the robot needs to be able to control remotely because there's no oxygen, it needs to be able to print an airtight structure with locally available materials, et cetera, et cetera. So NASA and others, including myself, think 3D printing is one of the most promising technologies for creating habitats on other planetary bodies. And so, so we're... So you're going to be working with Elon. I would... Elon Musk, if you're listening to this... If you're not listening to this podcast, you totally should because this is an awesome what? podcast. If you are that. listening... I would love to meet you because I have so many questions. <laughs> and answers. And I don't know. Yeah, I would love to just have a beer with Elon. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, tell us. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about yeah, it all yeah. day. We're running close to the end of time here. Yeah. Where can we find out more? Uh, you can find out more about Treehouse at www.tree.house. And if you live in Texas, help us upgrade your home. You can find out more about Icon at iconbuild.com. It has been a very interesting podcast. I am just, I've got so many questions. We'll have to stay in touch. Come see the house. Yeah. Well, and we'll also get a story for you on the magazine. So okay, great. Thank you for, so much, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Changing the world one house at a time. Thank you, Jason, for sharing your mission, and hopefully we will all see more Icon Homes out and around Austin and the nation very soon. The Masters and Founders team includes me, Dan Dillard, and producer Mariah Gossett. Thank you, Ryan Francis, for co-hosting this episode with me, and a special thanks to the whole team at Founding Austin. If you are enjoying the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and please rate and review us on iTunes. Also, if you want to check out full videos from our interviews on this podcast and beyond, check out the Masters and Founders Facebook group. Thanks for listening. Thank you.